This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Oh, Father, we thank you for this grand book of Isaiah. Father, it's so amazing that you have so much to tell us about yourself. If only we'll open up your word. And this afternoon, as we open up the book of Isaiah, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us along to help us to get a feel of this book, to prepare ourselves for the coming year. And along the way, that we will be prepared and desire to know you more and to know your plans more. We pray all this in the name and glory of Jesus. Amen. Now, the story was told that there was once a very, very severe drought in a country. The drought was very severe and the people were desperate. They have no food, they have no one to turn to. And some Christians decided to be gathered because the pastor rallied the Christians to pray together. And so they gathered as many as they can. And one day, as an appointed day, they went to the biggest field they can find. It's, it's parched, sun-scorched. They were there right in the middle. And the prayer meeting begins. It goes on and on. Then somebody in the midst of the prayer meeting started to feel something wet on his shoulders. He looked up and he saw clouds coming in. Drizzles became to arrive and before long, the drizzles become a storm in a split second. Everyone was rushing to find shelters because there were none. All were running everywhere except for one girl because she brought along an umbrella. She alone showed her faith by bringing her umbrella for a prayer meeting for life-giving water. Now, dear friends, whom do we really depend on in times of trouble? To those of us who claim to believe in God, do we really trust Him enough? Trust Him enough to do the impossibles? Now, dear friends, welcome to the introduction of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Now, this book of Isaiah is a massive book, but it is also deeply important and relevant to anyone who wants to sink deep into understanding God, who wants to drink deeply about the ways of God and His ways to save people from self-destruction. You know, like the story of the Christians praying for rain in times of desperation, the story of God's people in the book of Isaiah is set in an era where they are surrounded by enemies, by threats, and they were incapable of saving themselves. But more troubling in the book of Isaiah is that the people of God have a tendency not to turn to God, but to turn away from God when trouble comes. And so this 66 chapter book of Isaiah begins this way. In chapter 1, it describes a rebellious people God cared for, but who have turned away from God to corruption, to sin, to evil, to guilt. And so the book of Isaiah begins with warnings and judgment. So take a look at Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2 and 3 with me. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. I'll read it for us. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth. For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, 
The donkey is owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Now Isaiah begins with a people turning away from God. That's how Isaiah begins. However, by the time we reach the end of Isaiah chapter 66, its last three verses, we see a very different picture. We are shown a picture of a perfect new heavens and new earth in which those who fear and hear and turn back to God will get to dwell in forever. But for those who persist in their rebellion against God, they will face the final judgment where Isaiah 66.24 says, The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. Well, friends, the, the book of Isaiah is a book where God warns His people so that they will avoid self-destruction. And so it always oscillates between warnings and hope, if you read it, of rebellion and rescue, of judgment, and then of salvation. It is a book that tells the story of how faithless rebels who are doomed for judgment can be rescued and become a good and faithful people suitable for the new heavens and the new earth. Now this book of Isaiah is massive, but it is about judgment and rescue from God. Today, what we'll do is to have a burst eyes view, and next week onwards, we're going to put our track shoes on to step into the book itself. But as we step into Isaiah, you will find amazingly that as you step on the footprints of the ancient people, that their footprints seems to fit your shoe size. Because what they have experienced and how they have responded, you realize, is that how I have been responding in my life? It is a book that is written three, two, three thousand years ago, but yet, it is not just for the ancient people, it is for all who have rebelled against God and wants to know how it is possible for rebels to become faithful and perfect people for the kingdom of God, the new heavens and the new earth. So the book of Isaiah will take us on a journey. And in this journey, there will be a question that is echoed throughout the book. It's not always mentioned this way, but the echo is clear. The journey for Isaiah is this. I put it up on the screen. How will sinful covenant people of Zion be rescued and become faithful people of Zion suitable for the new heavens and the new earth? That is the question from chapter 1 and how it lands up in chapter 66. And along the way, the question that will be echoed throughout the book to God's people is this, on whom are you depending on? On whom are you depending on? Now with that, let me begin by painting for us the historical background of this massive book of Isaiah by looking at the very first verse of this book. Look at Isaiah 1 verse 1 with me. I'll read it for us. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now the book captures the vision of this prophet named Isaiah, he's the son of Amos, 
And let me just give us the background, a little bit, historical background. In the beginning, there were, when the kings uh, first appeared, there was this great king, David, that they all recognized was the greatest king. King David was there, and after that, his son, King Solomon. During that time, the 12 tribes were united as one kingdom. But when Solomon died, rebels happened, and people rebelled, 10 of the tribe rebelled, and they formed their own nation known as the Northern Kingdom, and they kept the name Israel. The two remaining uh, tribes formed the Southern Kingdom, and they took the name Judah, which is the lineage of King David. So the house of David follows the two tribes, the Southern Kingdom. The other ten kept the name Israel. And it is at this place that these four kings appear, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. The, the, the great-grandfather, the grandfather, the father, and the son. So the first king that mentioned in that very first verse is called Uzziah. He, he was a relatively good king who had reigned for a pretty long time, for 50 years, and was somewhat peaceful. Now he was relatively a good king, except as he grew older, he became foolish. And he sinned against God, and his sin was sufficient for God to punish him and make him a leper. And he had leprosy, and because of that, King Uzziah couldn't reign properly as a proper king, because he's a leper. And so he co-reigned with his son, King Jotham. King Jotham was also a relatively good king, but he didn't last very long. Now, when King Uzziah died, the sixth chapter of Isaiah says that is when the prophet Isaiah begins his ministry. It was time where his ministry and his visions are being penned down. So this is what happened. King Uzziah died. King Jotham reigned for a while. After that, he died. And then the son, King Ahaz, took over. But King Ahaz, when he took over around 732 BC, he was an evil king. King Ahaz caused God's people to turn away from God, and people did. Then finally, after King Ahaz died, his son, King Hezekiah, took reign around 715 BC and thereabouts. Now in the days of these four kings of the southern kingdom of Judah, they were actually not a very big nation, because the biggest nation at that time was the Assyrian Empire. They were the ones that people fear. There were big nations like Syria as well, but Assyria was the big nation and Judah was not. In fact, chapter 1 to chapter 39 of Isaiah, the main opponent, the biggest opponent that the northern and the southern kingdoms will have to face is the Assyrian Empire. And when they face the enemies, it will be echoed to the underlying question will come up again and again. On whom will they depend on to save them? So now is a good place for me to just give you a structure of the whole book of Isaiah, uh, how this whole structure looks like. So I need a few of your minutes, a few minutes of your concentration to try to follow with me, and you will find that the timeline moves along as I speak to you up the screen. Okay, the first section, uh, in, the, in the book of Isaiah, there are three major sections. Some people say there are five, so it depends on where you are emphasizing on. So I'll just say that there are three major sections. The first section is from chapter 1 to chapter nine, 39, 
and it focuses on the lifetime of the prophet Isaiah during the reign of the four kings. Do you remember the name? Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And in this first section from chapter 1 to chapter 39, there are three subsections. And to, for easy memory, there are three kings that we think about in that section. Now, chapter 1 to 5 it was predominantly about judgment. And when we step into 6 to 12, we have King Ahaz, the evil king. Then we follow on to God, the sovereign king, from chapter 13 to 27. And then finally, Hezekiah, the Davidic-like king, from chapter 28 to 29. So that's section 1. Section 2 comes in from chapter 40 to 55, which carries on as a prophecy when the prophet himself would be long dead. The prophecy carry on and the southern kingdom will face exile. But this time round, they will not be defeated by the Assyrian Empire because there's a much greater one that came up after that. It was the Babylonian Empire. And they were held in slavery by the Babylonians. In chapter 40 to 55, this second section, God began to speak comfort as the people were being battered around because of their spiritual waywardness. As they cry out, as they are distressed, God grants them comfort. And surprisingly, God will give even more comfort through a suffering servant. So that's the second section of Isaiah. And finally, the third section of Isaiah goes to verse chapter 56 to 66. Now this part of the book speaks to the post-exilic people, those who were in exile but were brought back, people like that. They, they were called to put their trust in God and to wait for the arrival of God's anointed conqueror. Because this anointed conqueror and king, when he arrives, he'll settle the scores with the world once and for all, and he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. So friends, as we pause here for a moment looking at this, what is this? What, what happened is this. The first section and second section are mostly historical for us. But the third section is not. Just as it was a future thing for the first readers, it continues to be a future thing that has not been completed. And we are still listening and looking forward to it. As they look on in this last section, the future events, what is required is faith and patient waiting for the anointed conqueror to finally return to set everything perfectly right. So in the meantime, the question of faith will continue to echo throughout the book of Isaiah and heard through all generations, including ours. Because like the past generations, even to now, the final day has not arrived and we will hear the echo that comes from Isaiah on whom will God's people depend on to save them? On whom will you and I depend on to save us? So here we have it, um, the broad breakdown of the three sections, or major section of Isaiah. And what we'll do now is to ask you to take off your shoes, not literally, please don't, uh, figuratively, as we sing our feet to touch the water of the sea of Isaiah. What we're going to do now is we're going to step into these three sections and feel the temperature 
and the events of what it is, so that when we begin next week onwards, we'll actually get to taste bit by bit. But figuratively, take off your shoes and sink in with me to feel the temperature of this book and these three sections. So we have had overview and now we begin with Isaiah's commissioning of his uh, prophet, his role as a prophet and writing down his visions. So we heard that he became a prophet when King Uzziah died and it happened and it's recorded in the 6th chapter. So let me invite you to look at Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 and these are the words of Isaiah 6 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, and seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the day when the prosperous King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw a much greater king, the king of heaven and earth. So great was he, the way he can explain it is that the train of his robe fills the glory of the temple. The temple is not sufficient to reveal the glory of this king, only the, the trail of his, his rope fills up the whole temple. Now Isaiah saw this great king, the king of the universe, and he was afraid and he cried out this way in Isaiah 6, 5. He said, Woe to me, I, I, am, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord, Almighty. And at this vision, Isaiah begins his ministry as God's messenger because this is what happens next. Then Isaiah heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. And God says, Go. Now, after Isaiah begins his ministry, we read right in to chapter 7, verse 1, the rule of King Ahaz. And this is what happened. Chapter 7, verse 1, When Ahaz, son of Jotam, the son of Uzziah, became king of Judah, other kings, King Rezin of Aram, Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, the other kings marched up to fight against Jerusalem. But they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken like the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They were just shaking because they were afraid. Now Ahaz, who ruled over the house of David, over the southern kingdom, he is meeting with the enemies around him and he became afraid. The question is, what would Ahaz do? When the rubber hits the road, to whom would he place his trust? Now, Isaiah has his job to do now, and God sent Isaiah straight to Ahaz and gave him these words. And Isaiah appeared to Ahaz and says, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. There are people who say, Let us invade Judah, let us divide the spoils and share among us. The sovereign Lord says, This will not happen. Ahaz, it will not take place. And then God said this important words to Ahaz. It's a very important passage. So look at it with me. Chapter 7, verse 9b. God said this to King Ahaz. He said, If you do not stand firm in your 
faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand firm. You will not stand at all. Now, this was a foundational truth for Ahaz to hear from God. And dear friends, this is actually a foundational truth that you and I, who claims to believe in God, needs to hear it as well. Will we exercise our faith when trouble comes to us? Will we hold on to God or will we start looking for human alliances at the expense of our faith in God? Will we give in to pressure and compromise our faith when the rubber hits the road? If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Unfortunately, History tells us Ahaz did not stand. The Lord asked Ahaz, Ahaz, ask me for signs, any signs, and I'll prove to you that I keep my words. And Ahaz replied to God as, Nope, I do not want any sign. This angered God, but nevertheless God said, I will still give you a sign. And this is what God gave Ahaz. And it will be a familiar verse for you. Chapter 7, verse 13 says this, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Sounds familiar? You hear that often on Christmas. Now despite Ahaz's Rebellion God, through Isaiah, declared the prophecy that a son called Emmanuel will be born. And over the course of chapter 7 to 12, God will reveal that unlike Ahaz, the anti-Davidic king, God will send Emmanuel, the true Davidic king, who will rule perfectly and will rescue God's people the right way. Now we'll read more of Ahaz's account if you are interested in Second Kings 16, there's more story on him there, but this is what happened. Instead of trusting God, Ahaz, because he saw Syria, he saw the enemies, Ahaz decides to offer the house of David to the Assyrian Empire. He, he went to the Assyrian Empire and said, you come and fight our battles and we'll be a vessel to you, we'll give you money. And what did the Assyrian say? Sure, I'll come and help you. And from that time on, Ahaz and the house of David were shackled on their feet and they give money to the Assyrian Empire. That's how it ends from chapter 1 to chapter 12. Ahaz. He's not that Davidic king. Now after the count of Ahaz, there is this interlude from chapter 13 to chapter 27 where Isaiah, on behalf of God the sovereign king, he stepped out and began to prophesy against all the nations that were surrounding them. And as Isaiah prophesied on all the nations about God's sovereignty and their weakness, he extends it further to the rest and the end of the world. That God is sovereign and God is the true king. But as he says these prophecies, Isaiah also pointed out that God still remembers his people in the land of Judah. And one day, his own people 
will turn around. Eventually, the people of God will recognize that God is the sovereign and ultimate king. And they will sing to God. And this is what they will sing. Let me read to you just a little bit. Isaiah 26 verse 9. The people were saying, My soul yearns for you, God, in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. Their, their hearts are turned towards God the King. They will no longer put their hearts and their trust on earthly king. They put their trust in the heavenly king. And then listen to these startling words of hope in God true king. Look at chapter 26, the same chapter, verse 19. This is one of the amazing passages here. They said, But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust Wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Now friends, isn't this an amazing passage? Right smack in Isaiah, you hear a praise of resurrected bodies, of resurrected lives. No longer earthly kings, their longing one day will be to the heavenly king. They will climb out from the dust in order to shout praises to the living king. And living God. You know, these are very old words of Isaiah. But you and I, if we have been in church for a while, we realize that they are not ancient. They are not old because God remembers them. And we see that He fulfills resurrected promises. In fact, He began with one resurrected life 2,000 years ago. That Emmanuel, that root of Jesse, that son of David, that Jesus, the Christ, and when Christ resurrected, He says, And the rest who are with me will follow suit. On whom will God's people depend on to save them? One day, they will not turn to earthly kings. One day, they will look up to the heavenly king. And they will recognize where rescue comes from. But for now, we turn back to earth because we had the first king Ahaz. We look to God, the sovereign king, and then we come back now to King Hezekiah, the son of King Amos from chapter 28 to 39. Now when King Ahaz took over the throne of his father, uh, when King Hezekiah took over the throne of his father, King Ahaz, Hezekiah was in a dilemma because as he looked at his kingdom, this is what he saw. His father Ahaz has willingly made the house of David a vessel to the Assyrian Empire to, to, to pay financial tributes to the Assyrian Empire. And Hezekiah thinks carefully what he should do. And he unwisely decided that he would unshackle himself and the house of David from the Assyrian Empire by looking to Egypt for help. It didn't go very well. Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrian Empire, when he heard that he was furious and his army rages down from a distant land right in and they conquered all the cities of Judah, leaving only the capital, Jerusalem, so that they can come in there and throw mockery at Hezekiah and mockery to Hezekiah's God and to the people there. You can read more about it. Uh, it is atrocious, the words that they mock God's people. He tends to keep them there to mock them and plan on conquering it 
flat to the ground. This is one of my favorite passages and stories there. I'm not going to read the whole portion to you. In fact, it's so exciting that two parts of the Bible repeat the same story. So 2 Chronicles chapter 32 tells you that story, and Isaiah itself, 36 to 39, tells you this story as well. So it's definitely worth drinking it deeply next time when we arrive at that chapter and drink in on that area. But let me just bring to us two very important passages within this story. There's two important passages. The first one is when they reach, the enemies reach the gates and the walls of Jerusalem and the insults they heard out. Let me just read to you a little bit of the insults that the commanders heard out to them. In fact, we have read it just now. Isaiah 36 verse 4 and 5. Isaiah 36 verse 4 and 5. The few commander said to, said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. <laughs> On what ground are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Hezekiah, on whom are you going to depend on to rebel against Assyria? You have nothing. They hope more and more insults at them. Now previously when King Ahaz faced danger, he abandoned God, he caved in and he ran around looking for human help. Now his son Hezekiah, he faced a much greater enemy. What will Hezekiah do? Will he be like his father? Listen to what Hezekiah did. It's in the next chapter, chapter 37 verse 1. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth, he went to the temple. And when he was in the temple, he sent messengers to the prophet Isaiah, saying, verse 3 and 4, This day, this day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the few commander. Oh, Isaiah, now whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, Isaiah, pray for the remnant that still survives. Now, at this critical moment, right in the middle of the book of Isaiah, King Hezekiah did not respond like his father Ahaz did. King Hezekiah responded the way his ancestor, King David, did. What did he do? He comes before God and pleaded on behalf of God's glorious name. That God will hear that his name will not be tarnished. That God will respond and have mercy on these remnants who have given themselves to the Assyrians. For God's own namesake. And what happened after that? I'm not going to tell you. You're going to to read it if you have a chance. But let me just put it this way, that God did the most miraculous rescue that no kings have ever seen before Hezekiah and no history in the kings will ever see again after Hezekiah. In that period of kings, God did the most miraculous rescue. Oh, on what are you basing this confidence? Mock the enemies across the wall. 
On whom are you depending? Now, dear friends, this question wasn't heard just at Hezekiah. This question is heard at all of us, all the time. For everyone who claims to trust God, how will we respond? How will God's people in all generations respond? To whom are we depending on? On whom are you and I putting our faith in? Because the day may come where you or me, we will face enemies who hate God and they will challenge us with this question, on whom? On whom are you going to depend on? And if in your life, this person doesn't happen, but I believe they will, if you hold on to be a Christian, if none of this happens, on your deathbed, death will walk in and whisper in your ears and say, on whom, Andrew, are you going to depend on? Who is going to rescue you from me? On that day, friends, when the rubber hits the road, who will you and I depend on? Will our faith stand? Perhaps Hezekiah could respond this way because when he was younger, he did hear Isaiah's words to his father, Ahaz. When Isaiah said to Ahaz, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand in all. And he saw it. And so, he clung on to his faith. On whom will God's people depend on? Dear friends, on whom will you and I depend on? Will it be God the King? Will it be the Emmanuel, the Davidic King, that God will send? Now, as chapter 39 ends, uh, this largest of three sections, we hear right at the end a hint that Judah will not stay free because Hezekiah also did mistakes. And so Isaiah says, in after your time, your kingdom will be taken away, every single piece of gold and silver. And it did, not by the Assyrian Empire, but after that came an even greater empire, the Babylonian Empire. This is where chapter 1 to 39 is for us. By the time we come to the second section, chapter 40, Isaiah, King Hezekiah, they are dead, well and truly dead, probably a hundred years or thereabouts. But the words of Isaiah came alive to the generation of Jews at that time who were under judgment, under slavery, during their Babylonian exile. And the focus of chapter 40 to 55 turns from judgment towards comfort. This is how this section begins in chapter 40. Would you look at chapter 40 verse 1 with me? It's also up in the screen if you want to look at that. This is what it says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her heart service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. No, the assuring comfort of God is prophesied that in God's people, they are called now to respond in faith. And God gives all the promises for chapters after chapters, from chapter 40 up to chapter 54. And they are called to respond in faith as they hear God make promises. In fact, Isaiah wrote in chapter 45 that God will use the hand of Cyrus 
the king of Syria, uh, the king of Persia, uh, to rescue them from their slavery from the Babylonian Empire. Let me read to you these words that Isaiah wrote in chapter 45, verse 3. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 3. God said, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I'll make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. And that happened. The comfort of the Lord now comes after his judgment and Judah's spiritual witness. God says, I will restore you back to Zion. I'll give you a new Zion, a perfect Zion. No, like a second exodus. You were in slavery again, just like you were in Egypt. But now again, I'm going to bring you back. Not by your own hands, but by my hands. And I will give you a new land. At that time, you will remember, and you must remember, that God is God. There are no other gods beside God. There are no handmade gods that you should ever compare me with. And this is what God says in chapter 46, God says these tender words to His people. Chapter 46, verse 3, God says this, Oh, listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all you remnants people of Israel, you whom I upheld since your birth. I've carried you since you were born, even to your old age and grey hairs, because I am He. I am He who sustains you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we can be compared? God says, Do not forget I am God. I am your comfort. No, there are warnings of judgment in this section, but comfort is the huge, huge topic of Isaiah from chapter 40 to 55. And in this section comes an amazing emphasis that God will also rescue them through God's own servant. And in this section comes the four famous servant songs. And the most famous ones you have heard in Easter or Christmas chapter 52, 13 to chapter 53, verse 12. That famous suffering servant song where the people were sinful, but this servant was faithful. The people deserve death, but this innocent servant dies innocently. These people should have died, but instead of dying, they will be rescued. And that suffering servant will give them everlasting salvation when he rises again. So that is the passage, the servant songs that God brings out as He gives comfort to His wayward uh, people. But the question of faith echoes on. And that question, you have heard it many times, on whom will God's people depend on to save them? And that section says, on that time they will depend on that suffering servant at that time, they will receive undeserved comfort. And as that section ends, it then paints this most glorious description of the Zion. And then, it shouts out this unbelievably 
generous offer. I want to read this offer to you. For those who were who are out there and have become spiritually thirsty, those who were beaten up for their spiritual waywardness and rebellion, God says, come back. Come back and drink freely from my water of life. Let me read this to you from chapter 55, verse 1. Chapter 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without cost, without money and without cost. Why? Because it has all been paid for by God's servant whom God sent. The question is, will we take it up? Will we lap it up? Will we come to God and ask for the drink to crash our spiritual test? And so that covers the second section from chapter 40 to 55. And we finally arrive at the third and last section of Isaiah from chapter 56 to 66, which brings out a call to respond to God's judgment and salvation on the final day. This final section, it ties back to chapter 1, because chapter 1 already calls the people of God to turn back, turn back to God. But as we come to this last section, the call is not just to the Jews, to the sons of Jacob, to descendants of Jacob, but this is a call for the foreigners, for the rejects. All of you, come, for the kingdom of heaven is way bigger than anyone could imagine. It's able to accommodate not just the Jews, but the foreigners for the rejects. All who comes will be received. So let me read to you this most generous words and touching words from the Lord God Himself. Let me read to you chapter 56, verse 3 to 5, that kickstart this last section. Isaiah 56, verse 3 to verse 5. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. But this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keeps my Sabbath, who chose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them, listen to this, God says, I will give within my temple and his walls a memorial and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Those who say, I have no more descendants, I can't have descendants. God says, I give you a name, an eternal name that's far greater than descendants in my kingdom. No, friends, as we journey through Isaiah, we, we may have seen that it has been looking at just the Jewish people or Israel or Judah, but it is really set in place so that by the time we come here, the offer is made available to everyone, everyone who are previously excluded, the foreigners, the rejects, the despised. They can now come to God knowing that God will receive them. Those who bind themselves to God, God will not unbind them from Him. And this offer is made available to all who listens on even today. That means to you 
and to me. On whom can these foreigners depend on? The answer is this, in this last section, they can depend on that gracious God who has sent a Savior, not just Son of David, not just the suffering servant, but also the anointed conqueror and king who will come on the final day to make all things right. He will come and receive those who are his. He will also see to it that those who reject him get what they want. And that is the unquenching death. It is nothing like the death that you and I will all face on the final day. On earth here, what we'll face, the death, however horrendous it is, is nothing compared to the spiritual death and the eternal death that will come when the conqueror comes. That one day, writes the last section of Isaiah, this conqueror will come and he will conclude all things. He will bring his people to the new heavens and new earth. And those who do not, they will face the spiritual death. And so the last section of Isaiah, he rounds up the book by calling us to repent and to have patient waiting for the arrival and the return of the conqueror himself. So dear friends, you have journeyed together with me very quickly just to taste it with your feet to feel the water. But before I want to close this overview, I will do you a terrible disservice if I do not mention just how much of Isaiah has been fulfilled in the New Testament and as you might know it, in the person of Jesus, the Emmanuel. So we look at the Gospel of Matthew for a really long time, one full year, just two years back. And if you were just re- recall Matthew and all the other Gospels, you hear repeatedly Isaiah's words being said, and it is fulfilled, and it is fulfilled, and it is fulfilled. We read things like in Matthew like this, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. And then in Matthew you read, the the people who sat in darkness, they have seen a great light. Now behold my servant whom I have chosen, or he who took our infirmities and bore our diseases. And he goes on and on. In fact, Jesus himself, in Luke, when he enters the synagogue and he chose the, the book of Isaiah, and he opened up the scripture to chapter 61, he read it, and then he stopped and he says, This has been fulfilled. You see that verse? In the bookmark that you have received just now, Jesus himself declared after reading Isaiah that he has fulfilled this. So dear friends, as we round up, the question comes back to you and me. On whom will we really depend on? Do we walk in confidence with faith? As that little girl did right at the beginning of our sermon, that she took the umbrella because she expects that God that she trusts will give the water of life, the living water that will revive them. Will we, likewise, in our faith, be that or will our verbal confession fails when the rubber hits the road, when God's enemies mock us? Dear friends, this book of Isaiah is written and man to open our eyes and help us to drink deep into the character of God. It's meant to help us to feel and understand the God that we say we believe and to see the Christ Jesus, the Emmanuel, 
that is splashed across the whole Old Testament. There's plenty and plenty of that in Isaiah. It's meant to revive our faith. If you feel that you're someone whose love for God has dwindled or your faith is a bit fuzzy, can I invite you this year, 2019, journey with us through Isaiah because it is not an intellectual book. It's a book that will grow and build your faith. How we begin in the beginning was that question, on whom will you depend on? And I pray that as we journey through this book of Isaiah, you and I, as we take this journey on it, we will be able to say firmer and stronger our answers because we have grown to know the God himself more and more. And so on that day when the conqueror returns, what is revealed is not a faith that cannot stand, but rather a faith that's truly in Jesus, that we have trusted in Him, and He will bring us home. Let's pray. You are great and sovereign. God, you are the King above all kings. Our souls yearn for you in the night. In the morning, our souls long for you. Oh, Father, in Jesus we can say these words of longing because you always keep your words. So, Father, what a great gift you have given us in this book of Isaiah and what privilege it will be this year for us to drink deep into this amazing, difficult but amazing book and that as we journey together, Father, may your name be glorified as our knowledge of you grows deeper and our love for you manifests and that our faith in Christ stands stronger. So help us, Father, and journey with us. Guide us by your Holy Spirit because we know that if we do not stand firm in our faith, we will not stand at all. So help us, Father, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.